Professor Olivier Zuntz has been a professor of history at the University of Virginia since 1979. He was born and raised in France, received a Bachelor of Arts in History and Geography at the University of Paris in 1968. His Ph.D. is from the Pantheon Sorbonne. Alexis de Tocqueville was also a Frenchman. At the age of 25, Tocqueville traveled throughout the United States for nine months. The result of his time in America is recorded in the well-known book Democracy in America, which was published in 1835. University professor Zuntz has just completed the newest book on Tocqueville titled The Man Who Understood Democracy. Professor Olivier Zuntz, author of The Man Who Understood Democracy, when you hear a politician quote, Mr. Tocqueville is saying, America is great because America is good. If America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. What's your reaction? Well, first of all, Tocqueville never said that. Uh, <laughs> I think Ronald Reagan said that. Um, but uh, but uh, Tocqueville never said it. Uh, and and um, um, uh, so my reaction is that uh, it, it is... Uh, uh, a way to uh, make a point about, but but not one that Tocqueville wanted to make, <laughs> because actually, um, uh, Tocqueville thought that America was enlightened, but not necessarily good. For those who don't know much about him, let's go over the basics. Uh, when did he live? Well, uh, Tocqueville was born in 1805. Um, he was. Uh, uh, the, the sign of uh, of the highest ranks of the French aristocracy, um, both uh, um, the the nobility of the square, as it was called, that is the old nobility serving in the army, and the nobility of the royal administration as well. Um, he most, m- many members of his family had been decimated during the revolution, during the revolutionary terror in 1794. Uh, His his great-grandfather, his grandparents, several uncles and aunts, cousins, other family members. And and so he, he was raised in a family loyal to the old uh, French monarchy that had been um, that experienced its demise. Uh, and he was the only family member who became a Democrat. Um, he died uh, uh, young in 1859 at age 53 after a life uh, in letters and politics. How do you define uh, being a dem- What's a Democrat in those days? Well... <laughs> Uh, it's a very good question because it's exactly what Tocqueville was trying to figure out. What's a Democrat in those days? So maybe the best way for me to rephrase this, to rephrase this, uh, he he was the only one who understand that the days of uh, the monarchy were counted, that aristocracy was born, was was gone, but democracy was not yet born. 
and he was very conscious that he lived in between these two moments, and he saw his life work as trying to figure out what democracy was like, and um, hence the American trip. Now, most most French liberals uh, in those days, that is, most French liberals um, in the teens and 20s and 30s, I mean the 18 teens, 1820s and 1830s, we are looking to England as a model uh, a, uh, for a constitutional monarchy. They were, uh, um, England was the model for a number of Tocqueville's mentors, Francois Guizot, most significant among them. What made, uh, uh, but, but Consciously, Tocqueville bypassed England and decided at a young age, he was only 25, to go to America to see what a democracy looked like, try to figure it out, because he, had, he knew that was the only place where he could see one working and decide whether he could ever live in a democracy. Let me ask you to define the word aristocrat. Uh, uh, okay, I, I think uh, uh, in, in this, um, uh, the word aristocrat, of course, is, I mean, the, the place of aristocracy in, in society has changed over, uh, over time, and I won't really go into this, but I think to, to use Tocqueville's definition, which I think is is uh, quite you know simple and good. Aristocracy created a uh, a chain linking all members of society. That is to say, everybody had a, a fixed place in the chain, and it at the top was the king. At the bottom were the peasants, and and. And at the, just below the king, where the feudal lords who became aristocrats over the years, depending on whether the king had a court or not, but they remain at the top of society from generation to generation. The merchants, the middle class, they remain at that level for generations and generations. The servants were servants from, from, from father to son. The same family of aristocrats would have the same family of servants over several generations. Democracy broke the chain, severed the links, uh, invited every individual to make it, make it on, his, on his own or on their own. So that is the great transformation. You also use the word liberal. Define that in those days. What did that mean? Well, uh, uh, you, I appreciate the fact that you asked very simple questions, <laughs> and there is no relationship between the length of the question and the length of the answer. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, in, in, again, in, in Tocqueville's mind here, uh, being a liberal really meant to open up uh, government to uh, uh, to to other uh, 
uh, to new forms of decision making, to uh, bringing intermediate powers, uh, again, to break the chain of authority, uh, to allow people to have a voice. Whether it was, we were, they were still in Tocqueville's early career, far from a universal suffrage, but the growth of prov- provincial as- assemblies, um, communal organizations, um, uh, civil society uh, associations, all of these were means of expressing uh, uh, opinions and challenging authority and presenting other views. So a liberal is somebody who favored this movement. Tell me if I'm wrong, but he started his trip to the United States when he was 25. How, Absolutely. How, where did he get the money? Oh, okay. Um, so it was an unpaid, uh, 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 an unpaid assignment from the French government. So Tocqueville was a young uh, apprentice magistrate. He learned how to be a prosecutor for the Versailles courthouse. He'd gone to law school. He'd been a brilliant student. The law school was a very boring curriculum in those days, and especially during the uh, years he went there during the restoration of the, the, the restoration of the French monarchy after the revolution and after the collapse of the Napoleonic Empire. And um, uh, his father was very well connected. He found a job for his son uh, in the courthouse in Versailles, where he learned to be a prosecutor. Tocqueville was not a good public speaker. Uh, he didn't like this job. And uh, when the uh, uh, French Revolution of 1830, which uh, um, uh, uh, instituted a, a constitutional monarchy, uh, uh, took place, Tocqueville was very reluctant. All, of, all again, all of his family members, including himself, were loyal to the old monarchy. They were so-called legitimists. Uh, he was still far from being uh, from, from being a democrat. He, he he was loyal to the old monarchy, like his father, his cousins, his friends. Um, and he was very reluctant to serve the new constitutional monarchy, even though he swore swore an oath of loyalty to it just to save time, but decided he had no future in the, in the courthouse, didn't want to keep that job. He had no future in staying in France. He wanted to have a new experience. Um, uh, uh, re- prison reform uh, was in the air. There were a number of, uh, there was a movement in France to reform prisons, to institute penitentiaries. And an American reform was very much talked about. There had been reforms at Sing Sing, uh, at Auburn, at Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. And Tocqueville and a friend of his at the courthouse named Beaumont had this idea that they could go to America and write a report on, on what was happening in American penitentiaries and submit it to the Justice Ministry. And they submitted a proposal. Uh, I read the proposal carefully several times. It's a, it's a model of a grand proposal. <laughs> if, you, if you could write one as good to the NSF or, the, uh, or to the NIH, you would get the money right away. 
Well, they don't get any money, but they got authorization to take a leave of absence from the courthouse and and write a report for the French government on American prison reform. The families, their families gave them the money. When did you first come to the United States uh, as an educator? I didn't come as an educator. I came as a student. Uh, I was a graduate student in French history in the 60s, in the mid-60s. And in 1969, uh, for luck maybe, uh, I landed a fellowship to go to graduate school for a year at Princeton. When did you first read Democracy in America? Well, I first read Democracy in America in the mid-60s. Uh, I'm, I'm 75 years old, so in the mid-60s was when I was an undergraduate. And, uh, and, and I, had as a, I had some wonderful history professors, including one by the name of Francois Furet, who became quite famous as a great historian of the French Revolution. And he's the one who introduced me to, to Tocqueville. Uh, as I said in the acknowledgement of my book, he was the surest of guides. Um, but then um, I had other interests, and uh, uh, and and uh, when uh, when I went to to this when when I visited when I visited this country for the first time in 1969, uh, I arrived in the summer of '69, and 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 I purchased for $99 a 99-day pass on Greyhound, and I spent three months on the bus touring the country in the late 60s, all by myself. And you know where the Greyhound bus stations are. In the, uh, so I saw one burn downtown after the race riot after another. And I decided to work on, 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 on this. And I wrote a book on Detroit. It was my first book. Um, and uh, so for many years, I had many other interests as a historian of the 20th century. And, uh, uh, but nonetheless, I had been beaten by the Tocqueville Berg early on. And, and all these years, I, I remained connected to Tocquevillean studies and helped create a journal, the Tocqueville Review, uh, Tocqueville Society. I was a Sunday Tocquevillean for many years. And, and then I about 10 years ago, I decided the time had come to write a book about somebody who, who had made a major impact uh, on this, with his writing on my country of adoption, that is the United States, this country, and the country of my youth. What did you notice when you were traveling around the United States that surprised you? What did I notice that surprised me? Well, everything from what's most serious and what's least serious. Maybe what's least serious is uh, when I got to the Alamo, uh, I realized it was air condition. <laughs> it was not my idea <laughs> of uh, what the Alamo was supposed to be. Um, um, uh, I went to the Grand Canyon, all the way down on foot, and back, slept by the Colorado River and uh, outside and came back up the next day. Uh, I had many surprises in many downtown. I spent nights 
uh, at the YMCA. Must have been the only white boy. Um, everything was a discovery. And why did you decide to stay in the United States permanently? Well, uh, uh, that is, uh, uh, thank you for my asking these questions about my uh, uh, biographies. Um, I, I got interested in U.S. history uh, right after this trip. I was a graduate student in French history, and I switched. So I took classes in American history at Princeton, and I, and I uh, kept working on it. Several years later, I landed a fellowship at Michigan, a junior fellowship for three years, and uh, in the Michigan Society of Fellows. That's where I started working on my book on Detroit uh, in the late 19th, early 20th century, the industrialization of the country, uh, big industrialization. And, and, uh, and then I returned to France, but I was nowhere I could finish this book from Paris, you know, in those days, in the mid-70s. Uh, there was no way. Um, there was not a book uh, that, could, that I could find in the library that could help me. There were no archives. So I uh, decided to spend some more time here. And the University of Virginia hired me in the late 70s and, and to teach. Uh, and, and I took the job. And, and the rest of it is history, except that, except that I remain connected to my French roots and for 30 straight years, I had a visiting professorship in Paris every spring. So I had the best of both worlds. So and I helped create a U.S. history seminar in, in France. So when your students over the years have come to the classroom, what do you require of them when it comes to Tocqueville? And where, when do you see them getting really interested? Well, uh, um, again, that's really quite, a, quite, a, quite an important question. Um, for many years, I taught a, a seminar on Tocqueville called just Reading Tocqueville. And I assembled a group of uh, 12 to 15 undergraduates every year, and we read Tocqueville together. And um, for many years, I had to select uh, excerpts. Uh, and it was a kind of a difficult read for most students. And then Arthur Goldhammer came up with a uh, absolutely splendid translation in the Library of America. And then people began, began the students began reading the whole book um, because somebody needed to render in English the beauty of the French text. And Al Goldhammer did that in the Library of America edition. I was lucky enough to be the editor of that edition, but that, that translation is an act of magic. And, 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 and it's amazing that Tocqueville still reads as if it, for most of it, not all of it, but for most of it, as if it were written just, you know, for us. You know, you read John Stuart Mill, for example, who's Tocqueville's great friend uh, in England, and you know this is somebody who was writing in the mid-19th century. Um, uh, but that's not the case for Tocqueville. It's really interesting in that sense. Um, uh, so uh, that that's... Uh, Part of the answer. You talk about uh, Mr. Goldhammer. Um, where is he based, and why is there a difference between Henry Reeves' first translation back in the 1800s and his? What's what's the difference? Well, I think um, 
you know, Henry Reeve was, of course, was a friend of Tocqueville. Uh, he was a young lawyer when he met Tocqueville just as Tocqueville returned from America. And they became friends, and he, he translated not only Democracy in America, but also the book on the Ancien Regime and the Revolution. Um, and, and it remained, the, the Reeve translation was revised twice by scholars in the late 19th century. It has a kind of an old English, but tilted uh, uh, tone to it. Uh, and so the modern reader doesn't really connect to it, as opposed to the French text, which is pure classical French. And Tocqueville was a very careful writer. He sometimes rewrote the same sentence, same sentence 20 times. And, and uh, he was obsessed with his style and how graceful he could be. Uh, uh, if you look at his manuscript, you see, uh, you see that immediately. Now, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, Arth- so there have been several translations between Henry Reeve and our Goldhammers, and uh, we can discuss them, but, although that's, but Arth was really uh, the first one who really captured uh, uh, the the rhythm of Tocqueville's writing, without being um, uh, uh, enslaved to the French text, that is, he rendered it in beautiful English, but he respected the I don't know how to express it, maybe the rhythm of the French or the uh, the, the the sense, the meaning that Tocqueville intended comes comes through very very carefully. Now, as the editor of the volume, I read the translation in manuscripts very carefully and had many exchanges with Goldhammer on, on, on the translation. And it was a real incredible pleasure to work with him because, you know, everything was up for conversation. And, and I think the, his, his, the result that he achieved is just splendid. Is he alive? And if he is, where does he oh, live? He's alive. He's, we're the same age. And he's, at, he, he's based in, in Cambridge and associated with the uh, Harvard Center for European Studies. Go back to the trip. He's 25 years old. He's with his friend Gustave de Beaumont. And he's on his way to the United States. How long does he stay here and where does he go? Okay, so he stays for nine and a half months. Uh, they had intended to stay significantly longer, but for reasons that are unknown, the French government uh, uh, recalled them. He got a letter from from uh, uh, the Ministry of Justice saying, "Okay, well, your leave is up. You better come back." Uh, and and they resisted this and managed to squeeze in a few more weeks, but they did. So they stayed nine and a half months. It was a loop around the country. They landed at uh, Newport, Rhode Island, stayed in New York for a while, then moved upstate New York, visited Albany, you know, then down the Mohawk Valley, the Erie Canal, uh, onto the Great Lakes, Detroit, and the Michigan Forest, then back um, through... Uh, uh, then, back, uh, then back east, but but uh, through Niagara Falls, a short detour through through Quebec. Then entering New England, staying in Boston, which was really kind of the heart of the experience in so many ways. Um, because uh, maybe I should stop that in Boston for Boston for a second to add a clause, because because I think Tokyo 
found in the Boston elite, the kind of uh, proto proto week elite of the days, you know, John Quincy Adams and that crowd, um, the Unitarians, Jared Sparks, and others, people who like him were really anxious about about the coming of democracy, um, and were wondering whether it would work out. Um, so then, from then, uh, again, uh, going down the East Coast again to Philadelphia, Baltimore. Uh, after that, crossing the country down the Ohio, uh, going to Cincinnati, moving on all the way to the Mississippi, down to New Orleans, and then back to the east to, the east, to Washington, D.C., back to New York, and on the way home. If he were here today, I'm sure you've had this ask of you, uh, what would he think about democracy in the United States compared to what it was when he was here back in the okay. early 1800s? Um, uh, I think I can um, answer the, uh, again, there is <laughs> again, there is no uh, connection between uh, the length of the questions and the length of the answer. Uh, uh, this is a sharp, short question, but it's a complicated one to answer. Uh, the the um, uh, I think uh, uh, what really struck Dougville most um, about this country very early on um, is the, 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 uh, that he discovered kind of a positive understanding of equality. That is to say, uh, and I, I mean for the white population, and Tocqueville was very clear about that because he was a, a lifelong committed abolitionist. Um, but before Tocqueville left for America, um, uh, equality was a, w- meant leveling. It meant it meant the the end of of prerogatives and privileges for people like him. The nobility that had been. Uh, basically that had lost its influence and its power. Uh, the nobility partly decimated during the revolution and then and then rejected. Um, so equality was a bad word. Um, uh, what Tovel discovered in... in, in uh, so equality in France meant the end of aristocratic liberty. What Tovel discovered in America is that equality could generate liberty. For the greater number, so he he had a very hopeful vision of democracy. Um, then we can we can refine this vision as we as we talk to 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 discuss what exactly he understood what what democratic process he understood. Now that was initially when he first came to this country. At the end of his life. He died young, he was only 53, but at the end of his life, so he came here young, he was 25, he was still a kid. He died at 53 of tuberculosis, so he had a short life as a politician, as a writer. But at the end of his life, he had resigned his political jobs, he was a representative in the chamber, he had been briefly Minister of Foreign Affairs in the Second French Republic. Um, he resigned. It was the Second Empire. The nephew had, re- 
had had the Napoleon's nephew, Napoleon III, had instituted a, a an authoritarian regime. So France was in the grips of a, of an authoritarian regime, and the United States was 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 consumed by the slavery question as the crisis of the 1850s brewed. So in, at the end of his life, Tocqueville had a very pessimistic view as to whether um, uh, democracy would survive. Uh, uh, France was, uh, again, uh, uh, no longer... Uh, uh, the, uh, the, I mean, the, the, the experiment with the Second Republic had failed, um, and it seems as though you, the Union uh, might collapse, and I, indeed, it did for a while. So, so, so Tocqueville, uh, you, you can see the arc there. Let me go back to something you said earlier about you talked about a constitutional monarchy. Yes. How do you define that? Well, that means that it's not an absolute monarchy. That is, the 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 king is is bound to to respect a constitution and and to. Uh, share power with with representatives in the chamber. Did the king? What kind of power did the king have, though, after decisions were made? Well, I mean, in absolute monarchy, the king governs by div- divine right, uh, uh, and and uh, um, the uh, and and this was, uh, of course. Uh, uh, the, the the French revolutionaries put an end to this in the late 18th century, uh, and and uh, um, the but the this this uh, as Tocqueville explained in his second book, I mean his last book, I mean uh, the book he wrote just before dying, this revolution fought in the name of liberty and it I mean restoring despotism because. Uh, because of the emergence of of uh, the, of Napoleon and his grip on power, um, and and his uh, reestablishment of despotism. Now, when when uh, uh, the, when when Napoleon was finally defeated, the old uh, monarchy was restored, the Bourbon family, with a constitution, but it was not really a constitutional monarchy. There was, it was, it was a, a step towards a constitutional monarchy. And then in 1830, uh, uh, it was established for real, where actually there was a more significant national representation, even though the franchise was still quite limited. If you were sitting at a table with Gustave de, de Beaumont and Alexis de Tocqueville, what would you what would you pick up from them? What kind of people were they? What kind of conversation would you have? How interesting do you think they would be? Well, I, I tell you, I, I think Tocqueville over the years has become a good friend of mine. Um, uh, people in this country know only democracy in America. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the complete works, now finally published in France, took 70 years to do this edition of complete works, com- uh, comprise 32 volumes. Um, uh, there are 
on these three major books, uh, Democracy in America in two volumes, a, a, a volume of the memoirs of the 1848 revolution that Tocqueville did not intend to publish, was published posthumously, and then the a volume uh, on the French Revolution and the old regime, uh, uh, Tocqueville intended to publish a, a sequel to it, but he died just after publishing the first uh, 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 the first part of it. Um, uh, but he, he spent, as I said, he spent his life in the chamber. So we have multiple speeches, draft of speeches, uh, memorandum. Uh, he for, uh, briefly directed the newspaper for several years. So we have a number of his pieces there on the need to uh, reconcile church and state uh, maintain a separation between them, but have them coexisting. Um, all kinds of extremely important topics that he discussed in his political career. And then we have, of those 32 volumes, about 17 of them of correspondence, of letters. He was a great letter writer, and they were each of them beautifully written. I have to say that I'm probably one of the 10 or 15 people in the world, I dare say, having read the whole thing. Um, because in working on this biography, uh, but I, I began. Uh, he was an he was an extraordinary letter writer. He had a gift for friendship. He expressed his feelings, his emotions. He must have written letters about every day of his life, and people kept them. And so, so this is uh, so this is somebody who had a very rich uh, life of communication with with uh, a great diversity of correspondence and um, and I began you know uh, in writing this book and and delving into all of this evidence at a much greater level than I ever had before um, uh, entered into conversation with them so what which is what a historian does actually you know you immerse yourself in a period and, and you end up uh, you know being in the room with them what would a reader get from your book that they can't get from any other book on Tocqueville? Okay. Well, here it is. Uh, there, are, there is a huge literature on Tocqueville, appropriately so. Um, this literature, however, is, is very... Um, uh, it, 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 it's divided into several groups of, of, of commentators and, and, uh, who have little communication with one another. In this country, people have always been asking, well, how well does he describe us? Uh, did he like us? Uh, did he really understand us? Uh, was this idea of the charity of the majority correct? Was it wrong? Uh, it was always about a, a, a treating Tocqueville's democracy in America as a, as a description of America. Well, it was never intended to be a description of America. Democracy in America is a book about the principle of democracy. And much of it comes from non-American sources, it's like uh, his trips to England. Uh, where, you know, when Tocqueville at some point describes the industrial aristocracy, he never visited a, fa a factory in this country. He never went to the textile mills in Lowell, even, when, even though he was in Boston. It's all coming out of Manchester, England. So, you know, it's a mixed. 
it's a mix. And, and so, but Americans, perhaps rightly so, because there are some passages that are beautifully, beautiful descriptions, like passages about, you know, presidents seeking re-elections. Every, every, every four years, somebody reprints that passage in a newspaper because it seems like it could have been written uh, for, for today, a president dropping everything he was doing uh, and stopping governing the country to put the government to the service of uh, his re-election. So, so, so Americans basically are obsessed with with, with how right Tocqueville was. Well, in fact, it was really not the purpose of his book. Then, then the French reading, reading him uh, are really obsessed about the French Revolution and what Tocqueville said about the French Revolution, and they think that all this American thing was really about, um, uh, you know, the future of France. Uh, and uh, uh, so those two... Those two books never really come together. Now, what I have to say, uh, being a U.S. historian, having spent my life studying American history and teaching American history, um, uh, 19th and 20th century, um, I, uh, I, I show in my book the significance of the American trip, uh, not only for writing democracy in America, but for Tocqueville's life as a politician, for his understanding of what democracy should be, uh, and and so that's that's one contribution uh, that that I make is to show the continuity of uh, 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 Tocqueville's American voyage long before the the, tri- the the visit to America was was done. That's one thing. Another thing I do, which I think hasn't been done, had not been done before, or at least not fully. Uh, is to systematically connect the, the politician with the intellectual. But we have we have a wonderful uh, um, uh, many important thinkers have written about Tocqueville's ideas, and I respect their work. And we have very few people who have written intelligently about his politics, about his life in the chamber, about his life as Minister of Foreign Affairs, and. Tocqueville made it very clear to his family, to his friends, that it was more important to him to be a politician than to be a writer. So I tried to show how the two careers overlapped. So that's perhaps another contribution I made. And, um, and then it's for the reader to say, <laughs> not for me. <laughs> well, one of the things that, as you all know, because you've written this in the book and, and talked about it, I'm sure, many times, he had to give a report on the prisons system here in the United States. And I wonder what he would think of this fact that 44% of criminals released from prison in the United States today are back in prison within a year. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put words into Joe's mouth, but I want to say that he was a very strong believer in rehabilitation, and, uh, and and okay, so initially, of course, the prison report, uh, the proposal to write a, a report in prison was an excuse, a pretext, a pretext, I should say, so that he, he could get out of the courthouse and visit this country, and they, it was a good idea, and they did it seriously. This is seriously, they investigated the prisons in great detail. Now, in those days, there were basically two 
competing uh, uh, prison systems. Um, there was the uh, Orbion system and the Philadelphia system, uh, among the reformed penitentiaries, that is to say. The Orbion system uh, had solitary confinement at night and, and, and gang labor during the day, uh, controlled by the whip. Uh, and then the Philadelphia system, emerging in part from the Quakers, uh, had full-time solitary confinement. Uh, in, in cells that were, that were large enough uh, to provide for a workbench at, during the daytime. So, so the question is, which system was better? And, and the penitentiary reformers of the day were always debating whether the solitary confinement was actually viable or would just, you know, generate a form of madness rather quickly among, among inmates. Well, the idea, of course, in Philadelphia at Eastern State Penitentiary was, was to isolate criminals so that they could repent, they could reflect on their, uh, on their, on their past, and so on and so forth, with the help of the chaplain. Now, uh, to, in the prison report, Tocqueville um, presented Tocqueville and Beaumont, it was mostly Beaumont who wrote the prison report. Tocqueville and Beaumont presented both systems without really choosing. Um, it was more of a technical report. Uh, later on in life as a prison reformer that he was in the chamber, Tocqueville promoted solitary confinement, had lots of arguments with other people as a way, as, as a better route to rehabilitation. So I don't know what he would say about the rate of recidivism right now, but I know that was his major concern in those days. This is not um, a terribly important question I'm going to ask you, but up until a few years ago, the Chateau was in Tocqueville and uh, it was closed in private. And now if you go online for $705 a night, you can stay at the old, cha old chateau. What do you think of that idea? Okay. Uh, I am uh, a friend of the uh, current, own current owners of the Chateau Tocqueville. They are descendants of the family. They, they are. Uh, uh, and, and they are actually a very, very good custodians of uh, Tocqueville's papers and Tocqueville's legacy. Um, in the, and they still own the chateau, and it's in, uh, and and it, it is well well maintained. It is in family hands. All of the records, uh, uh, records, all of the Tolvis archives, uh, are at the top of one of the towers in in an archival room, and uh, uh, it's something of a miracle that that they survived because there was a major fire in the early 1950s and fortunately this room was, was protected by a medieval stone staircase, late medieval stone staircase and, and, and uh, um, actually probably more like a 16th century stone staircase and, 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 uh, and, and, and the fire department was able to, to save that part of the, of the chateau. Um, late in the 19th century, one of the family members added a wing, uh, 
And this is the wing that is now for rent. And I think the family uses it to help them maintain the chateau and, and, and the thing. They are extremely good custodians of the place. And yes, you can, it's rather pricey. Uh, it's very uh, nicely done. Uh, uh, and, and you can rent that wing and, you know, visit the region in Normandy and go to the D-Day beaches. And it's, it's a good thing to do. So you mentioned again in your book about his health, that he had problems all through his life. What were the problems? Well, he uh, had a, uh, yeah, did, 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 was, was often in ill health. He had a respiratory disease. He had issues with his lungs all his life. He has digestive, digestive issues, too. Uh, when he was... Uh, uh, running electoral campaigns in Normandy to be elected to the chamber. The, the, the tradition, of course, was to, to treat the, the electorate, you know, they were counted in the hundreds those days uh, with a high franchise, uh, to lavish meals. And Tocqueville could had a, a, a very difficult time to compete with others on that level. He talked about his inability to 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 uh, deliver on what he called electoral gastronomy. <laughs> what is electoral gastronomy? In those days, was to 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 do that. So anyway, the long and the short of it is that Tocqueville suffered all his life of uh, a poor, and he had didn't have a voice. His voice didn't carry. So in the chamber, he was a poor orator. Uh, even though his speeches were beautifully written, they were better read than listened to, um, and. Uh, and, and then toward the end of his life, he developed a, a case of tuberculosis. He had, he, he, he had a, uh, an initial case and he had a reprieve, and then he came back uh, and, and died young. So go back to the classroom. Uh, when your student walks out after uh, a semester with you, um, what what's... What do they tell you they take away? What are the specific things that they take away from learning about Tocqueville and reading Democracy in America? Well, I mean, you know, um, students come in all kinds. <laughs> and so some, some took out more than others. But, but I would think that um, uh, one thing they were extremely proud of uh, is actually having read a political philosopher in depth and discussed uh, those ideas in depth and then written papers related to so many different possible topics from the, from, from the book. So I think um, uh, now uh, uh, the, the, the class attracted mostly people majoring in uh, um, political and social thought, intellectual history. Um, it was reserved to uh, seniors, uh, so I took only four-year four students in the class, small group. They had to apply. I, there was a little bit of a pre-selection. But on the whole, uh, I would say it was one of my favorite classes to teach because of the level of conversation. Of People got very animated with it. And they loved the idea also, the students, of being able to uh, research parts of the U.S. trip. You know, there is a, 
uh, I actually published them in English in the book uh, maybe 15 years ago, Dogville and Beaumont in America, where all of their travel notes and letters home, uh, uh, going from one place to the other, students love to go through these and see the records of the many conversations he had. It's sort of a myth to say that Tocqueville only talked to conservative types and and, and Polo Whigs and, and Boston Brahmins. He also talked to Jacksonians. Uh, and he also, uh, and when he was in Philadelphia, he visited every single inmate uh, in Eastern State Penitentiary in the cell and interviewed each one of them. And the note on, on every inmate. Every year I had at least a couple of students writing on, on, on that episode. Um, uh, so so th- there was a great deal. I think, you know, students, we tend often to use them with excerpts from books and whatnot. In this class, we read the whole thing, and they loved it. I think. I mean, the, the, I did it for many years. So. In your book, you write the following. The newlyweds experience greater than expected difficulty in personality adjustments. Marital oblit. Marital bliss was not so easily achieved, although, and you quote, we will one day get ashore, unquote, he told his brother. Uh, They were battling the storm. Alexis was controlling, critical of his wife's every move. He loved her so much he explained that he wanted her to be perfect in everything, and this caused sorrow and resentment. Can you tell us more about his wife and that relationship? (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, okay, so so again, uh, uh, I'm going to make a quick little detour here. Um, uh, Tocqueville had a, uh, uh, when he was in, in America, uh, he had a number of conversations about gender relations and, uh, and, and, and the life of the family and couples and some people told him, well, you know, Americans have um, a pretty uh, liberal in sexual relations before marriage in the country, but then they are really loyal, faithful partners. Uh, uh, they, um, uh, and and Tocqueville admired this idea of couples who married for love and, and, and stayed together and had a special admiration for women on the frontier. And uh, some of the Feminists of the days, I mean, Catherine Beecher especially loved what Tocqueville wrote about American women. Now, uh, the, family read, the family read the manuscript several times as he was a young man trying to write this book he, uh, when he returned from America, and they shouldn't have been surprised that he chose a middle-class woman to be his wife. She was a young English woman. She was a little older than him, actually, by a few years. Bumi had met when he was in Versailles. Uh, she came without without title, without 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 a distinguished family, without money, and uh, and Tugger fell for her. Um, uh, they had a, a somewhat, I mean, at times a rocky relationship. But it was basically a good marriage. Although Tocqueville was not always loyal, not always faithful, and and uh, uh, but I think yes, they had difficulty adjusting. I would think uh, um, I'm not exactly sure uh, whether that should be so surprising. I think it happened probably to most of us. Uh, the 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 idea though uh, is that she was an interesting person. She was very loyal to him. 
he was loyal to her, and and uh, uh, the and the marriage uh, was a successful one, I think. One of the interesting this is a small part of your book, but it, it caught my attention is that you, you say that he took her within the first year of their marriage to Switzerland. Right. And uh, have you studied much of the Swiss government and what would what do you think Tocqueville would think of the way they run things in their democracy? Well, Tocqueville was a very, very critical of the uh, Swiss diet, of the Swiss government. He thought it was what a federation should not be um, because it, the, the country was divided into 22 cantons or small places and the, the, the central government had no authority over them. So it needed to create a kind of a consensus between these different parts and that would never happen. It was a little bit more like, in a way, like we imagine the U.S. Confederation being before the Constitution. Um, and what, what Tocqueville really admired in the U.S. Constitution was precisely that the federal government has had its the authority to direct citizens directly. That its army, its uh, uh, courts, um, it, its out system of administration, and didn't need to go through the states for everything they were doing. Well, well, the the, the Swiss Federation was paralyzed from the beginning. Tocqueville actually has a very interesting text about this. And where where is that? Well, I think you're going to find it in my book somewhere, uh, <laughs> a, a reference to it. Um, uh, so but if you give me one second, uh, I can give you uh, uh, the exact exact uh, uh, reference. I'm looking on page, I mean, I've been looking at page 165, 166. No, but, but I think uh, uh, the, hold on a second. Yeah. The, the piece that Tocqueville wrote is on, on Cherbuliers, who is a Swiss legal writer, Democracy in Switzerland. It's a talk he gave at the French Academy of uh, Moral and Political Science. Uh, the name of this uh, writer, Swiss writer, is Cherbulier. I would be very surprised if I don't mention him in, in my book. Let me check the index. Uh, Yes, you look on page 271, 272 of my book, and you'll find that. Time for us to wrap things up. Um, have yes. you, ha, have this, has this book, have you got any stories about how this book has impacted uh, people that uh, you, you know, you've been in contact with uh, creating their interest in Tocqueville? Well, you know, the book came out. Uh, what day of the? What day are we now? The the fourth of, of yes, of May. May. The book, yes, the book officially came out yesterday. Ah, it's early. Yes, the book came out yesterday, and 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 uh, uh, and and the French translation for the first time in my life. The French translation came out last week. So the first time they came out together, because it's a beautiful translation, actually. I, I revised it myself, but I didn't translate it, but a student of mine did, but then I went over it very carefully. And, uh, and, and so both, both editions came out at the same time. So I cannot say really what the impact is going to be, uh, 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 because you're one of the first respondents. 
<laughs> Professor Olivier Zuntz, the name of the book is The Man Who Understood Democracy, The Life of Alexis de Tocqueville. Thank you so much for talking with us. Well, thank you so much for uh, uh, setting this up. This has been a very real pleasure. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcasts at c-span.org. Thank you.